Welcome to the world of color. A podcast about colors and everything it touches. Podcast by Radio Oedipus, Victor Bangolo, and recorded by Scott Dress. Thanks for coming, and uh, could you present yourself just briefly? So, Yes, thank you so much for having me. My name is Nadine van den Bos. I'm the co-founder of the Young Collector Circle, which is a member-based platform dedicated to supporting the art, which sounds really, really difficult, but it is not. It's really a fun way for people to uh, get to know the art world a bit better and learn all about art and collecting, meet fun other art lovers, and also get to know artists, galleries, etc. All right. I think that was very clear presentation mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would say my first question for me as a non-art collector is mm -hmm. what is the first art piece you've collected? Oh, that I ever bought myself. Well, actually, it's uh, quite a fun uh, story, but it's uh, because it's not in my collection anymore. Uh, it was actually a site-specific work, so um, it is a work by the uh, Dutch-Iranian artist uh, Navid Nur, mm -hmm. um, and it is a, it's actually it's a, it's a sentence. It's a sentence, and it's called Vision Needs No Eyes to See, which I found really poetic and really beautiful. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that you, uh, when you buy the work, the, the artist, he lends you a hammer uh, and the letters, so you have to, like, pick a nice space into your wall and you have to like hammer the sentence into your wall so it gets like stamped into it but it was like two houses ago where I lived so mm. I moved and I moved so and now it's not in my collection anymore because it's forever in the house that I used to live in ah yeah. that's <coughs> so the person who are living in this house yeah have I, it or? yeah I think so because I was quite in a hidden place I, it also was my intention because I was renting the house at the time so it was also my intention that like the work secretly kept living its own life over there so I hope well, maybe the person who is living there now uh, they have discovered it or maybe uh, maybe not yet maybe they have an art collection that they don't even know of yeah that's interesting <laughs> because that makes me already jump to an idea <laughs> that I had that it, in that sense in this art piece mm -hmm. it's a bit like a treasure in yeah. their house Exactly, you have to really have to know it uh, to see it and to uh, to find it. Yes. And uh, so when you are done with the hammering, you gave yeah. back to the yeah. Navidur the Exactly, object. we gave back like the, the object is like this nice little kit with the letters and the, the hammer and then you give it back and then uh, it's, uh, it's his. It's a, so it's an, an artwork that can, can be reproduced over and over again because it's also really important to him to really spread his art into the world and it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be difficult, it shouldn't be uh, super expensive. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge and it's ex also exactly what we are all about with Young Collector Circle. So it's a... Fit my view very well. Yeah, I think that's indeed went exactly the right way. But and I was curious about the idea of young collectors mm -hmm. in that sense because you were explaining that uh, Navid Nur made something that reflect you. Mm -hmm. So what is a young collector as opposed to an old collector? <laughs> um, well, for me, young collectors is uh, young in a way in the position, the stadium where you are in your building your own art collection. So you can be 70 years old but also be a young collector in the sense that you've only purchased your very first artwork. So for me, it is like being young in starting your collecting adventure, so to say, and not necessarily necessarily in, uh, in age, but uh, I do have to say a small disclaimer that, of course, a lot of our members are uh, also quite young. They're most of them between 20 and 40 years old, so people who are uh, actually starting their uh, very first collection. Yeah, ah, that's, that made me think of um, 
there was some years ago in Palais Tokyo in Paris, mm -hmm. an exhibition of young artists, mm -hmm. and most of them were in their 40s. So yeah. I think it's, it's very relative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's yeah it's young young is, uh, is, is, is is has another meaning nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, also the older you get yourself, the more you your own idea of the um, uh, the definition of young also stretches and stretches and stretches. Yeah, uh, indeed. <laughs> and I was also curious about the idea of the circle because a circle doesn't really mean the same as a club mm -hmm. or as a I don't know the uh, guild. You yeah. know, what, a what is a circle? Yeah, we actually chose that. Um, we thought about it a lot, how to call our, our platform. We deliberately chose for the circle because we really want also people to, to connect with each other, to really start a community. So we want everyone to feel like included in our, in our circle. We find it really important also uh, our members and the people who, who join our events that they really get to know each other and they discuss their experiences, with, for instance, for the artworks that they've seen, the artists that they talked with. So really it's also to make connections between them. So that's why we are not a club, which is a bit more of a, uh, yeah, a loose situation. We really try to be a, a community and to connect people with each other. All right. Yeah, circle. Yeah, yeah. that's also what I understood yeah. from it. Uh, yeah, we also could have called it Young Collector Square, but then it would be like less catchy. So we chose the circle because it's uh, also a nice alliteration. Yeah, there, there is also, of course, in the circle, the idea that uh, you can open it and close yeah. it in a sense of a, it's a bit more dynamic, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Than a square or another shape. So, that's true. That's true. And it's, uh, we are uh, very, uh, very welcome. And so we don't have like this, uh, this submission form that you need to need to fill out. Like everyone can can join and uh, be welcome in our uh, ever expanding uh, circle. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing. Yeah, it's uh, circle keeps on growing. It yeah. uh, has a let's say inner uh, dynamic. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> so it's getting more accessible now. Mm -hmm. And how that goes, like, do you have uh, people joining out of the blue or you do little events, uh, yeah. lectures or something? It's, to... a, it's, a, it's a bit of both. Like sometimes people are heard from us through their friends, for instance, or it's like, hey, I did this really fun event. You should also join me next time. Uh, a lot of people also find us online uh, via Instagram. We're also very active. And of course, also due to Corona, we have quite an extensive digital program as well, mm -hmm. especially since the first lockdown where everything was so well. We weren't able to visit artist studios. Uh, where not the museums were closed. So a lot of our programmation programs had to be uh, transferred to an uh, to an online program, so we also try to do to encourage people really to um, yeah to join our master classes and really give them in a very accessible way information about the art world, but also about the art market, for instance, like how our prices determines who, mm. who decides like what costs a million euros and what costs 100 euros, and how should you how do you know if you're paying the right price? So we really try to be very transparent about that and give people the tools to make the right decisions when they maybe buy their first artwork. Ah, so that's yeah, indeed that's uh, quite uh, precise on that note. Because yeah. I see it on a website, there's also lectures. You yeah. also have a podcast. It seems yeah. that there is, a, I would say, I would call that a lifestyle almost. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder, are you yourself uh, uh, fully engaged with this, or it's still as a side project that just uh, keeps no, on growing? It, it is, uh, well, it started out quite small, but over the years, it's really grown to this very serious, uh, serious platform. So we also have expanded our team quite a lot. So we. Uh, we started out very small, but now it's really a serious, uh, serious organization. And we also um, feel that in the way that we are recognized by the, by the art world more and more in the beginning, of course, when you're a newcomer, it can be very difficult to, to, to find your own spot. But uh, nowadays, I think we also 
creators from museums and from collectors and artists that everyone has heard of us, everyone knows us, and they also value what we do. Because, of course, I think what we do is really to uh, to show people how this whole ecosystem of the art world works. So what actually does a gallery do? How does an artist relate to a museum, etc.? So we are like the link in between all these institutions and people, and we try to, to open it up without interfering in it, but, but really to try to make it uh, transparent. Yeah, I was always curious as uh, I consider myself to be more on the artist uh, side mm -hmm. rather than on the collecting side. But there's always the gallerist around. Mm -hmm. So you have this triangle of people and how does the relation works between you, the, the gallerist, and the artist? How does that... Uh... Uh, well, normally, well, the, the traditional model, I think they made it, that's the best way to put it, that as you are a collector or someone who just buys art and uh, does not do that on a very regular basis, uh, then the most often you go to an art fair or a gallery and then you just see work that you like and you talk to the gallerist and if he or she can tell like a really engaging story about it, you might decide to buy it. Um, and then the gallery, they split the, the money that they made with the work, they split it for, uh, with the artist. So the, the gallery is uh, sort of the, the intermediary between the artist and the collector. Uh, and I think that model is still, um, still very valid and still a very... Uh, Yeah, strong position. But you also see that more and more, especially younger artists, are trying to, to promote themselves. So they say, well, maybe they don't want to work with a gallery because they feel restricted, or maybe they uh, can't find a gallery that really fits, uh, fits their work, so they sell their own work. It's also happening more and more, especially now through Instagram, of course. Mm -hmm. A lot of artists have such a great uh, platform and can connect with, uh, with collectors uh, straight away without um, a gallery intervening. Um, but having said that, I think that the gallery it is way more than just someone who sells your your work and takes half. They really, you know, they they rent a space. They make a really beautiful exhibition with you. They take you to art fairs. They introduce you to new collectors. They maybe even take you abroad. You have the connections with the museum. So I think the gallerists also their their role maybe not be as um, uh, as visible, but it can be very uh, yeah very important for an uh, for an artist. Mm. Yeah, you use a very important word, I think, when you describe your relation with the gallerist. Mm -hmm. I mean, the relation the gallerist has with the collector mm -hmm. is the, the story of the, art, yeah. of the art piece. So I'm curious about, are you, what is your thing? Are you more following you yourself? Is it more about the story? Because some people, mm -hmm. it's purely an emotional uh, reaction. Or there is more of a, probably they like a certain type of art yeah. and they want to collect so I'm curious about yeah. that yeah for me it's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of both I don't have like this restriction for any medium or type of type of work but for me it's of course it's important that when at the moment I see it that I'm uh, intrigued by it that I want to know more that I'm eager to, to learn more about the work but also that it attracts me visually I talk, it has to it has to provoke something I mean it can be also something that I think hmm I don't really know why I like this but I want to learn more uh, and I think well um, one of the uh, the works that I like the most in my own collections are the works that are not necessarily visually super attractive and not like super pretty or very beautiful but the story behind this really what um, Yeah, but all but always stays because maybe your your taste and what you like visually can change. But if you have like a really good concept or a good story behind the work, and that that stays forever, you will never get bored of, of a story of an interesting idea. But you can get bored of like a, a landscape that you've been mm. looking at for for ten years. So, do you have one story that is for you this? Um, of an art piece that was for you this story is as valuable to me as the art piece itself uh, 
Um, yeah, I think so. One of the favorite works uh, from my own collection, which I'm very happy to uh, to have, is a work by um, Isabella Andriessen, and she makes these beautiful um, sculptures, uh, and they actually they come to life. So they, they they transform over time. So she makes these beautiful ceramic pieces. They're very organic shapes, um, but they're uh, they're uh, hollow in the on the inside, and she fills them with all sort of nasty chemicals uh, oh. so that they're um, I think it's something with copper sulfide so very aggressive uh, aggressive chemicals um, but these chemicals they uh, make sure that there's something brewing on the inside and also actually coming out so through the surface of the ceramics these crystals start growing and growing so she actually creates new life with her work so the, the work is always transforming so sometimes pieces are falling off and new crystals are growing and it's a work I'm particularly uh, fond of it's not always the easiest one to have in your home because it needs a lot of uh, yeah a lot of maintenance but it is security maybe. yeah <laughs> also so I'm, uh, I'm not having uh, pets luckily so that's uh, they're, they're safe but uh, yeah I think it's um, it was also for me like I really enjoyed the work I also saw it in a very large scale in museums and in other presentations and I thought wow I would always really like to have a work by her but of course I live in Amsterdam and everyone in Amsterdam is like this real tiny space where, mm-hmm. of course, I couldn't fit like a very large sculpture of her. So um, I saw at one of the art fairs in the Netherlands at Art Rotterdam that she also made like a really small one and it was like immediately, well, I, I want to buy this one. It's, uh, I, I just had to have it. And since how, how long do you have this piece? Uh, it's almost two years uh, and I'm still uh, very happy with it. Also, I also made some photos of how it changes over time so it's also for me like in the beginning it was like very neat and clean and clean and throughout the uh, the months it's yeah it started evolving and started to come to to come to life so every day when i wake up i just want to uh, i get to my living room and just checking to see like what changed during the during the night so it's really something that you you live with yeah and uh, very weird question but does it have a smell uh, yeah, actually it, it is. It smells really a bit like metal, like mm. uh, copper. So if you come close, if you look at it from close, you really smell this, uh, this metal uh, metal smell. So I can imagine it's uh, not maybe not very healthy, but uh, it's uh, it's art, so you should... I would say, uh, no, next question, is, is art healthy? You know, yeah. big question. <laughs> it is healthy, but it's definitely addictive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting because the... Um, I mean, of course, I would say people imagine art collecting as a practice that could be quite um, um, like you 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 put things in a box or on mm-hmm. your wall and they, they sort of disappear and they yeah. maybe are a bit st- maybe they are stored. Yeah, yeah. In your case, with this art piece, it's something that lives with you and keeps yeah. on living. So I think I think that's interesting uh, aspect. So. For the young collectors, in mm-hmm. that sense, uh, do they see art? The, we say the young collectors of now, uh-huh. would they approach art as a something that is following their life, or or it's also be the idea that it's, uh, they, they like something, they, they have it, and then they store it? Yeah, I think people uh, people really make um, the decision based on more what uh, what they personally really like. So I think maybe 
uh, in the past it was more that people were more traditional about like well I only collect paintings for instance mm-hmm. and just they really make like a formal decision about it. and I think nowadays people are way more uh, intuitive and also really want something that uh, represents their their identity that also they want to uh, to identify with and I think especially if you are uh, if you are a younger person and you collect uh, artworks from also from artists from your own generation you can see that they are often um, also reflecting on the topics that also are uh, something that you are dealing with for instance uh, climate change or racism mm-hmm. or the Me Too movement so things that are also really very close and near to you so I think that's also really connects with uh, the idea of buying a work of art that really has a story behind it instead of only being like a pretty picture I think that's something that at least that I see with our members and the, the people who come to our events that they really want something that they, they can relate to instead of seeing it like as, a, as an investment or as a, really a formal way they just uh, just like they want uh, you know they want to have like nice design furniture they want to have like uh, really uh, if you buy like a dress you want like a really nice one so I think that for artists it's the same you want something that, that you connect with and that you identify with yeah that's uh, indeed the, the, the collection is a bit of a, an extension of your personality. Yeah, in yeah I think that's, that's the more and more uh, things that, that we've seen, especially now during this uh, pandemic that's been going on for almost two years. A lot of people are like sitting in their homes all day, so you also want to surround yourself with things that not only are, are beautiful, but also that are thought-provoking and that makes you, yeah, make you maybe um, give you a different perspective or a different view on things that, that challenge you. Yeah, that's... I was reading some um, article about the act of collecting mm-hmm. and what is collection, and there's a, a very long history in Europe about the collection, the notion of collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that the first traces date back really long time ago in antiquity, as mm-hmm. but they were considered to be more treasures, mm-hmm. or like the, the emperors or the kings mm-hmm. would have a series of objects that were important or yeah. valued yeah. for spiritual reason or uh, for what they meant like, uh, for the, the society of their time and then this notion evolved throughout the age to be on one hand more spiritual mm-hmm. so you had the treasures from churches or uh, mm-hmm. religious communities and mm-hmm. then the I would say the, the treasures of kings and princes mm-hmm. which were more uh, objects that were valued yeah. they, they were important because of the material Exactly, they were, slowly, they were just very expensive. Yeah, they were like they were, made out of precious materials and stones, yeah. uh, jewels, and yeah. everything. Yeah. And then slowly it evolved. The, the act of, collect, of collecting and the collection evolved to be more of a personal choice. Mm-hmm. And collecting became more of a uh, has to do with your personality. Mm-hmm. And um, so it seems that it's following uh, this growth or this this um, direction in time that collecting is an act of knowledge mm-hmm. more and more maybe like showing that oh uh, we present that you have a certain knowledge and a certain look mm-hmm. onto society and it's not necessarily the collection of a museum that is mm-hmm. meant to be the national uh, yeah. you know the, the, because what we see in museum is of course a collection for everyone yeah. but it is framed by uh, let's say yeah. states exactly yeah as a, as a museum as you also see that a lot of big museums are now really also trying to um, 
um, to reframe their collection because, of course, for instance, the, one of the biggest museums in the world, the MoMA in New mm -hmm. York, of course, one of the most famous museums for modern and contemporary art, uh, they also started to look at their own collection and they look at it now very differently than 50 years ago. So now I think, hmm, okay, well, in the 60s and 70s, there also were a lot of great women artists and a lot of great artists of color who we have never collected because at the time we thought that only like white uh, males could make uh, great art. So it's also the, really the spirit of the times that, how, that really reflect on what you think is important. So I think it's really interesting now that a lot of museums are trying to make up for the, the blind spots that mm -hmm. they have had for so long. Um, so, of course, that's a, that's a great thing, but I also hope that this is something that they will not make the same mistakes again. And between, yeah, again, in 20 like in 20 years, years we don't yeah. have to go through the same process again. But, of course, as a, as a private collector, it's way easier. You can just buy whatever you want. You don't have like any rules or regulations yeah, or restrictions. You don't have to... Uh, prove, let it not prove, but explain to the yeah. public this exactly. is why we bought it yeah. because it's your own. Uh, yeah. But now that certain private collections are so big, mm -hmm. they become cultural institutions yeah. on their own. So, what is exactly. your opinion on certain big art yeah. collection well, from very wealthy person yeah. that have that? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, it's uh, on the one mm. hand, I think it's very great that a lot of people have built such a huge collection over the years that they share it with the public. I think that's a very generous thing to do because, of course, it's, it's such a shame that there are so many storages all over the world, like literally just uh, these, um, yeah, these empty boxes filled with artworks that will never see the light of day, but they've been bought by this mega collection or by this museum, even these huge depots that, uh, yeah, just this, the artworks are just sitting there. So I think it's really, really good that a lot of private collections, collectors are opening their collections and showing them to, uh, to, the, public, uh, to the public as well. But as you're saying, they, um, they oft, quite often have like the wealth to buy a lot of the top artworks that maybe mm. we would want to see in a, in a public institution such as a museum. But um, a, lot of, a lot of the times, uh, especially when you're talking about like, the really, really high uh, point of the art market, so like the, the, the mega millions, uh, million mm -hmm. dollar sales, uh, those galleries that sell those kind of types of art, they really want to sell, uh, if they could choose, to, to a museum rather than a private collection because it's, it has more status. But of uh. course, they also want the artist to be like in the best collection in the museum, of course, and the work will be uh, on show more. And if it's sold to a private collection, it will maybe be stored somewhere forever and then get sold at an auction five years later and they just make to, to make money. So they very, even if you have like the, all the money in the world, there are a lot of artworks that you can buy just because your collection isn't interesting enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was curious about this idea what you explain yeah. of art being stored once yeah. bought, huh? by either by museum yeah. and uh, collectors. What's your opinion on the art piece that is invisible? Invisible. Mm -hmm. Once it's bought, it's sitting in a yeah. box for X amount of yeah. time and it's not accessible. Yeah, well, it makes me really, really sad. Mm -hmm. It's just like such a, such a sad idea that there are like millions of artworks all over the world that will just never be... Uh, see the light of day. It's, it's really it's kind of a tragic, tragic notion. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of museums are also really making efforts to opening their stories to the public as well. Because uh, normally, of course, they make exhibitions and they have all these rooms where the beautiful artworks from their collection are being shown, but it's only such a small percentage. But I think one of the trends that you see, uh, a good example is the museum Boymans van Beuningen in Rotterdam. They just opened their new uh, depot. 
and it's just their whole collection and everything is accessible to the public so you can just take a, a rack of artworks and you can just see everything that is mm. that is there so they thought well we have so much that we can never ever show like in 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 a hundred years so why not open also our storage so i think that's really really a good a uh, good idea and i hope like more museums will will follow because it, it is uh, public art yeah but when you think about it <clears throat> i mean what you just described is a uh, what we see in museum is only a few percent of what is yeah. really considered art because mm -hmm. it's presented public collection yeah. in private. So for years, your, everybody's vision of art is quite limited if you consider mm -hmm. it. If you would see the full scale of the, the archive, yeah. uh, you will have a much more uh, enriching view of, yeah. of your past probably. Of, uh, yeah, exactly. There are just a few decision makers and very important key positions in the major institutions who really show us what what is art. They make the, the exhibitions and they also really show like from what focus point they want to show it. So yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting that this the things that we see, especially in the museums, are only such such a small percentage of what what a collection actually entails. Yeah, there was yeah. this story recently. You must have heard about mm -hmm. it, about the Salvatore Mundi. From yeah. uh, well, I mean, that's the big thing because mm -hmm. it was uh, uh, we call that uh, uh, recognized as mm -hmm. a, as a Da Vinci. Mm -hmm. But I saw this morning that apparently there are new uh, complaints, or some people are saying this is maybe not Da yeah. Vinci. Yeah, that's also always a tricky thing with buying art uh, from artists who have been dead for centuries. And of course, you're never sure uh, who made it. But if, exactly in this case, it's, it's really fascinating because it's such a hype. Because all the works by Da Vinci, of course, they are uh, all the works that are um, uh, discovered and that are known and are, are uh, described to him. They're already in all museum collections or in private collections. Mm -hmm. So once there is a work that is being found by Da Vinci, then everyone's like. Of course, everyone wishes it, wishes it to be one because it's, it's kind of sketchy, you know? Like, who decides, oh, it's the real one? Of course, there are a lot of experts on this specific mm -hmm. topic, topic, but they also don't all agree with each other. So it's also a bit of a, a bit of a gamble. And some people have, like, so much money, they say, well, I want to take the gamble because maybe it is a real one. Yeah, I think the Salvatore Mundi is uh, owned by the Saudi Arabian yeah, France, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's the rumor, but it's pretty pretty solid. Yeah, pretty solid. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because I was wondering if it's uh, let's say uh, confirmed that it is maybe from a Da Vinci student yeah. or not yeah. a real real one that would break it apart. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Or you try to convince another expert to really to reclaim it again as a Da Vinci. It's, yeah, because it's uh, it's interesting because it's, of course this work is sold through an auction so this is the case that literally because I was saying before that if you also have all the money that there are a lot of galleries who won't sell to you mm -hmm. uh, because you are not like an important collector enough but an auction it's different in an auction if you just have enough money if you just have the highest bid then it's yours so it's like really a different market that you are um, mm. yeah that you are engaging in so uh, for instance if you were like a very wealthy person it could have, it could have been yours so that's also really the very democratic thing about auctions, I think. That's, it's, uh... I think you just revealed two very important topics. <laughs> yeah. It's like the auction house are more democratic than gallery, because this is from the public perspective, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. We think auction houses are only accessible for wealthy people, mm -hmm. which in fact they are, mm -hmm. but still everybody with money can come. Yeah. 
and then galleries refuse to show you or uh, allow you to buy art mm -hmm. because you're not considered to be the a worthy mm -hmm. collectioner or collector. Yeah, yeah I think like uh, what I mean is like the system of the auction house. Just of course, it's very transparent. It's very mm -hmm. open. Yeah, like if you want to buy it and if you have enough money, of course. Um, you have to be very wealthy to buy the Da Vinci. But I think the system it is is very open and very transparent. And of course, uh, there actually are a lot. Um, when, of course, for instance, if you go to Art Basel and you want to buy a work that you really like, it, the chances are quite big that they say, "Well, I'm sorry, Victor, with your collection, mm, we rather sell to the MoMA." Then, of course, this can happen. But if you are in a in a gallery just in Amsterdam or in London or Paris or everywhere uh, anywhere, and you aren't looking for an artist that is like on the top top uh, mm -hmm. level segment then all the galleries will be more than happy to sell it to you so I think that's also the fun thing about collecting emerging artists because they are not that established yet so not everyone is so keen on them so as the starting art buyer or collector that is really your way to uh, yeah to start buying to start collecting with emerging artists who haven't proven themselves who may uh, yeah who may turn out to be like the next big thing mm -hmm. but also who may like uh, quit their career and become uh, a postal guy. You never know. Yeah, yeah. but that's another, uh, another important yeah. topic <laughs> is uh, when the collectors has that sort of uh, influence on the artist's career by picking up the, the artist mm -hmm. or the collectors, uh, whoever buy the art, yeah. uh, show, put the artist in the spotlight. That's very important. Do you see yourself sometimes as having this sort of uh, invisible hand in certain uh, career? Well, uh, invisible hand sounds kind of... Uh, that's a bit too much. Yeah, 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 I, I know, but, <laughs> but I made it but this no, way. <laughs> no, but, but, but the topic, I think, I definitely agree because that's also something that we with Young Collectors Circle are pushing very much and really trying to make people aware of that as a collector, you can really support artists by buying their works, especially in the beginning stages of their career because if you buy their work, then they can, uh, they can continue making work, they can do research, they can deepen their practice. And often a lot of times, like before the museums and the big institutions have bought their work, uh, you as a private collector maybe have done so. So that's why they also can continue their career. So maybe it is a bit of a gamble to, to, buy, uh, to buy young artists, but it's really also very rewarding. And it's also very fun to see that when you have bought a work of art by then, maybe then in five years it will be in the Stabic Museum. And not, it's not only nice because it has maybe uh, the, its, its, its value has, uh, has been increased, especially because then you have uh, seen it very well. You've had like a good eye and it's also very rewarding for your ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all, I think this, all these topics are very uh, interesting because, for example, I, was, I did art school mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> all the notion of buying, selling your art, I mean selling your art or let's say you as an artist slash designer or whatever, mm -hmm. you would be in the moment of dealing with these topics was never clearly explained. So this is always a bit of a, the jungle. Yeah. Uh, for, so for a lot of artists, I know by experience, yeah. they don't really know what to do in certain uh, instances. So yeah. in, your, in your own experience, when you were maybe directly meeting with artists mm -hmm. you wanted to buy, were you sometimes uh, confronted with also this... Uh, yeah. They are uh, from another world, basically, yeah, and you well, don't know how to... Yeah, not from another world, but definitely like not being prepared to, yeah. um, to make a living as an autonomous artist. And that is something, because we also uh, really I would encourage everyone to visit the graduation shows of the mm -hmm. art academies, because that's really a fun way to see like what very young artists are working on. 
and what topics they find important, but also the spotlight works that you might see next year in the gallery, but are now also at a price point that is very affordable. But it's, um, I've encountered it a lot of times that I was at a graduation exhibition and I said, well, I love your work, it's super interesting and I really would like to buy it and that they have never even thought of what the price should be. So there is also something that is like the missing link between mm-hmm. the, the, the art academy and like the art world or the market where you, which you will enter as, an, as a graduating artist. So there's actually also something that we, not as Young Collector Circle, are working on. Young Collector Circle is part of a bigger foundation which really focuses on the, uh, yeah, the financial uh, independence of artists as well. It's called the Art Projects, it's a foundation. And we also teach uh, a curriculum about entrepreneurship at a lot of art academies nowadays. Mm-hmm. So also also to, uh, to show, to prepare artists for the, what comes after their time at the academy and how should you decide what, how to price your work, what galleries suit you, etc. So we also really want to be the link between the artists and the people who want to collect their work. Yeah, that's of, often uh, in the grand public, I would yeah. say, the big question, why is art or certain art piece so expensive yeah. and others not? And uh, I, I mean, for artists that are leaving the academy or entering the art mm-hmm. world as a let's say this is what they are going to do for the rest of their life it's a long process and yeah. there's all kind of roads yeah and it can be bumpy bumpy yeah because yeah. I have a story of a friend who um, so he finished uh, art school in Paris uh, some years ago now but mm-hmm. so he had a, a first exhibition uh, just a year after his art school in Brussels And there was during the Brussels Art Week, mm-hmm. something like this. And uh, someone came to the show, the opening, and bought two or four of his paintings mm-hmm. directly, like on the wow. first view. Yeah. So that was quite a thing already, because he just uh, came out of school. And the gallerist, uh, who thought it was amazing, uh, started to discuss with that person who bought the art. But this person was linked with uh, a group of collectors in New York. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of discussion going on. And ultimately, that led to my friend uh, having a show in New York a year later, mm-hmm. so two years after graduating, something like this, to prepare a private show for New York art collectors with his painting. Mm-hmm. And everything was pre-sold, which is which made crazy. It completely crazy. And this may be unique, but... So for him, it was like the first two, three years of his after school were completely schizophrenic yeah. because he was on the side, let's say, having uh, all kind of jobs because, uh, you know, he's an artist and he needs time to practice, so he needs to find mini jobs. Yeah, to finance it. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly, uh, this peaks of like, okay, you're going to New York for like one week and everything is pre-sold. Yeah. And all these people, which was also an interesting uh, topic, were collectors and most of them were uh, buying on uh, ba- based on uh, recommendation mm. they did not saw the art per se yeah. they knew it was let's say considered to be good yeah. and the show was private so it's it breaks every sort of notion of yeah. the artist showing the, to the public and getting let's say uh, recognized yeah, but I think it must also be very ambivalent <coughs> for the artist himself of course It's really nice to, to hear that people want to buy your work and it's pre-sold, but the idea that they haven't even seen it, so that they actually not really maybe be very interested in the work itself, but only in the hype that is created. That is also something that made, might feel a bit 
a bit weird. For him, it was yeah. it was like uh, he was uh, completely lost. Of yeah. course, he enjoyed the, ex the experience, yeah. but when he was sitting in his gallery, yeah. the people around him were, let's say, uh, kilometers away from his world, mm -hmm. like where he where he. And he was very. I think wasn't very good in English, so he was mm -hmm. trying to explain his art, but it was not mm -hmm. easy. And you could not really share, you know, mm -hmm. the ex what he was doing with those people who were just like, "Oh, great, nice! I, I yeah. bought three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, also a bit of a, of a cultural difference between, and also a bit of a monetary difference between mm -hmm. those types of of worlds. But uh, I think in the Netherlands, like these types of, of collectors who just buy anything that is that is like hip and happening uh, without seeing it I think there there are almost none of it because of course in the Netherlands there are like a few really big private collectors mm -hmm. as well but uh, at least the ones that I've met and the ones that I've spoken to they're also really really keen on uh, supporting the artist and really knowing what the art is about so they're not only collecting because they like it or they think it's nice they really want to to be involved in it as well so I think in the Netherlands uh, luckily the culture is, is a bit uh, is a bit different do you have yourself uh, now direct bounds with certain artists that you've collected work from or um, like you, you you like to visit them and you keep on Knowing, yeah. like you want to stay away, awake. Sorry, with what they do. And yeah, I'll, I definitely follow their um, their careers. It also mm. happens quite often that I'm that I'm really that I see an artist, for instance, in a museum or at an art fair, and then really then I start following what they do and what other works they make and what exhibitions they do. Uh, and then after like a year or two, then I uh, finally buy a work of theirs, and I really wait for the right work to come along. That's really that I really like, but also that I can afford, of course, because a lot of artists really like to work on very large scale, which is, of course, super nice for museums, but not mm -hmm. necessarily for private collectors. Um, but I really, yeah, I really like to meet the artists that I buy work from. I don't really need to have like a, uh, a, a sort of a best friendship with them, but I really like to talk with them about their work. I think it's really, um, adds another layer to it, because a lot of galleries can talk very well about the works and the art that they present but when you hear it directly from the artist him or herself and especially if you've been to their studio then you really really get another take on it mm -hmm. so for me it's really definitely an, an, an added value and do you sometimes uh, think it's better to bypass the gallerist um, or you think it's sort of the framework of the gallery helps yeah, no, I think bypassing the galleries, it's, it's, um, it would be weird and it would also be like uh, not an option because if an, an artist works with a gallery and you just, you like maybe call them if you go by the studio and say, like, hey, like, can I buy this work for you and let's not tell the gallery, then the artist will also say like, uh, no, we just have an agreement, so that's, mm -hmm. that's not an option. And I think, uh, no, I think also that wouldn't, that wouldn't be... Uh, wouldn't be fair, but um, you also see that some artists are really working more uh, on a project basis with the gallery. So they say, well, these are the works that I uh, that I consign to you for this exhibition. But if there are people who want to buy other works from me uh, that are not part of the exhibition, then they can buy directly from me. So that's also this kind of hybrid model is what's also you're seeing quite more and more often, especially, of course, uh, with, with group shows when there mm -hmm. are artists also from different, uh, different galleries. All right. And I was curious also, but because of course you said earlier that you feel the young collectors mm -hmm. and the art scene are very different than 50 years mm -hmm. ago. So of course COVID passed by. So yeah. what is now the 
situation with art. Let's say what you see in Amsterdam. I will talking about Amsterdam, about yeah. the the art scene in Amsterdam after two years of COVID. We are still not done. Um, no, unfortunately, we're still like in a new in a tomorrow. New, we're still in a new lockdown. Yeah. So, what, what is your uh, understanding of the art uh, reaction to what's happening? Yeah, I think that um, people are really still maybe even more valuing. Uh, what art can do for their lives and also in terms of their surroundings and their daily lives because we have been uh, well been in our own houses for so long but in terms of the art market of course things have been uh, yeah quite quite difficult a lot of artists who had like all galleries and museum shows lined up everything got cancelled got postponed like um, uh, big exhibitions they were yeah they were not going to happen so for artists it was quite uh, it was quite difficult but on the other hand I also spoke to quite a few artists who thought well this is also a period that I can use to like do new research start new mm-hmm. work because I don't have like the pressure of producing so of course it's uh, if we like um, take away from the financial aspects which of course has been devastating for a lot of people who work in the cultural sector especially artists it has also been a period of about uh, yeah reflecting on your own practice maybe starting to work in new techniques that you haven't uh, that you have never thought about before so it could also for some artists be like a way of yeah of a changing point mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me think of another friend of me who works at the moment. He's an assistant for Anselm Kiefer, you know, the German uh, of course, artist. Yeah. He lives in France, so he's mm-hmm. in Paris. And during the COVID, Anselm Kiefer apparently uh, dedicated a lot more time to painting mm-hmm. because uh, most of the show were closed. And, uh, and it was also, also for him a form of self um, I don't know, but I would say self-interrogation, um, like to mm-hmm. go back to painting more. Yeah. And for my friend, is more assisting on the big production yeah. and everything else. But it he sounds said, like a dream job, by the way, to work with oh, some Kiefer. Maybe a difficult person, but a really an interesting practice. Well, yeah. My friend has a very good contact with him, yeah. so they found each other, I would say, and yeah. he's really happy about the yeah. job. And, uh, but he said, yeah, it's very, very interesting to see that uh, even... Uh, Anselm Kiefer is about 80, I think. Yeah, yeah he's quite of an old man, but yeah. still very active. Yeah. And yeah, even though COVID could have sort of, I don't know, uh, like everyone put a, a sort of hammer on his head of mm-hmm. uh, this is not going anywhere. No, he found the resources to yeah. do more paintings. And that, I think, was great. I haven't seen the uh, painting, <laughs> but my friend did. Yeah. Said, they said he's, he's really active now. And, uh, yeah, because I was, was really curious about, uh, you know, uh, I was at Art Rotterdam earlier this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, it was in the summer this year. Yeah. It was just really strange, but, yeah. And uh, I personally felt the most of the art I've seen there was much more pictural, like uh, mm-hmm. painting alike. Yeah, fi- figurative. Yeah, yeah, things that you can place on the wall and safely consider it as art. Yeah. And also a lot of material. Exactly. That's also, I find it really interesting that you mentioned that, because that's also something that I noticed a lot, not only at Art Rotterdam, but also at Art Basel this year, that there's a really new um, revival for uh, tactile materials. Mm -hmm. People want something that's comfortable, that is nice, that's being soft, that you can can touch almost. So I think also a lot of... uh, 
the last few years during the pandemic, a lot of, uh, of tapestries also mm-hmm. actually just like suddenly popped up everywhere. And the uh, like the really slick pho- uh, photograph of them maybe a bit less uh, less trendy because I think really the 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 urge for like um, yeah for craftsmanship is also something that came up during the during the pandemic. Yeah, I've seen a lot of tufting video on Instagram. Yeah, lately. exactly. Yeah, like <laughs> it's a really great example. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I mean that's my personal uh, understanding of the so the notion of time has changed during pandemic mm-hmm. like. Uh, yeah days were the same, things started to look very boring and mm-hmm. we could not really tell the difference between uh, from a week to another because mm-hmm. everything was sort of uh, not moving and I think for the people who are creating and who are involved with making um, then the notion of time came back the time you spend at it, mm-hmm. like the repeating movement and so my mom is an, is an artist and she started also doing crochet you know, like yeah, uh, yeah. weaving and stuff during pandemic but also with, with this idea of time passing yeah. and the notion that the day is 24 hours and what, they, what can you yeah. do now in yeah. these 24 hours because they don't have the same uh, impact on you because they will be repeating again mm-hmm. and you don't know when this is yeah. stopping. So I felt that the art represented that uh, idea that we were, uh, let's say, going back to a more, I would not say slow pace, but a more of a what's happening in our direct relate mm-hmm. surroundings. We need to yeah. focus on what's around us very quickly, very yeah. close, and yeah. we have to do things by ourselves. Yeah, also, of course, our world got all of a sudden, like, super small. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I think that's one of the cases, and you have, like, no... You have so much less uh, input that is given to you, because normally, of course, like, you go out to, to have a beer, you go out to dinner, you join with friends, and there's, like, so many... Um, things that are being thrown at you so of course of course during the pandemic everything was just locked out and you were really like on your own with your own thoughts and really doing a very repetitive thing so yeah I can imagine yeah I had uh, two weeks no last week I had uh, my karate exam I was Mm -hmm. doing karate but the the the, the head of the the exam is Mm -hmm. uh, is based in New York Mm -hmm. and like many Maybe you have noticed, but uh, in the sport world, it's the same. There was mm-hmm. a lot of online class yeah. of keep practicing at home, uh, giving advice on how to you know, move and not be uh, yeah. sitting on your couch. Yeah. So this happened as well in the karate world, and he made a lot of online class. And he told us during the exam uh, last week, because he, he flew through um, to Amsterdam, that the last two years made him speak much more. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying... What I want to say by that is what I understood what he said, that karate is physical, mm-hmm. but when you start teaching, you need to voice mm-hmm. what you say. And you can use, uh, let's say, if you don't have to worry about what you say, you can use a set of very preconcise concepts that on repeat and people, it's their body that needs to understand it. But when you do it online, then you have to explain very well. And that yeah. gave him even more a hunch for yeah. writing or what we say voicing his opinion mm-hmm. and he said he's, he's very happy even though the COVID is a terrible thing for uh, everyone but he said that's really helped him process his work yeah. and yeah, you really have to like think about how you want to voice and how you want to express things because you have to be way more more careful when we think about it because it's not uh, as natural as informal as it is in real life mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, I mean, the COVID with the art world must have had an impact that we still don't fully 
I would, I would say it would take a few years to really see, especially the students, I mean the people who mm -hmm. have been graduating or finishing their art yeah. school during this last two years. I think they have, they'll bear the COVID seal for yeah. a while. I COVID think. burden. Or yeah. burden. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, it's, it's really a, it's a tough time uh, in general, but especially like when you're just graduating the art academy, it's like that is your moment to shine during the mm -hmm. graduation exhibition. That's where you'll meet new people, that's where you'll meet curators from museums, other artists, collectors maybe, journalists. So that's really like such an important part that you've worked for like for four years and then yeah, when that gets cancelled it's quite uh, it's quite tough. So it's like kind of a lost generation. So we all we also as Young Collector Circle really support a lot of initiatives such as uh, Het Hem in Zandam. Mm -hmm. They've taken it upon them to really um, put together like this super large group exhibition of a lot of uh, um, of artists who graduated during the, uh, the, the pandemic, so to give them uh, a stage uh, at last, maybe a year later, but to really give them an option to present themselves to the world. So I think those initiatives are, are very valuable. Yeah, no, but that's, that's important. Of course, not only art students, all yeah. other studies yeah. suffer from it, but it's, it's true that art has a sort of a an inner movement to be mm -hmm. shown, and if it's not happening, yeah. it's a terrible thing. And do you see the same sort of uh, scenario with the gallery world? Also galleries changing a bit their procedure and how they mm -hmm. select or how they do? I think a lot of, uh, a lot of galleries have like quite a clear, um, a clear uh, how do you say this, proposition in their work. Like some galleries, for instance, they say, well, I really focus on uh, a young and emerging painter. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other galleries are only working with uh, very conceptual artists. So I think a lot of, of galleries, at least here in Amsterdam, they have quite a, uh, an outspoken profile. And so also, um, if you are maybe seen uh, a bit of uh, more exhibition from them and also been to other galleries, you can also really uh, kind of um, expect like what their program will be. So that's also a tip that I give to a lot of people who are just starting to, to buy art and to try to navigate within the, in this gallery scene. If you are at a gallery and you see this, uh, this exhibition by an artist that you really like, I always recommend them to also check out the rest of their program mm -hmm. because chances are high that the other artists that are represented by the gallery, that you will also find them interesting because they really fit into this type of way of, of looking at art that the gallery wants to, uh, to put out into the world. Yeah, I think it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting uh, advice also for mm -hmm. people who are interested in buying art is how to do it. You know, like if you're mm -hmm. in a gallery and you you see something you like, but how do you approach it, you know? Yeah, how do I, you say, oh, well, I think I'm interested, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that's exactly the way, right way to approach oh, yeah. it, yeah. Because I think a lot, of time, a lot of people actually think that the galleries are quite intimidating. That's also one of the reasons why we started Young Collector's Circle, to show that you, like anyone can just go into a gallery day and can just... As the prices, we all we want people to be very transparent about it. So if you are in a gallery and you're interested in a piece, we really always encourage people to just go up to the gallerist and say, hey, I really like this work. Can you tell me a bit more about it? And by the way, what does it cost? I think that's very the right way to, to, to go about it. And the galleries, it, it is their job. They really, most of the time, they might seem um, a, bit, uh, a bit distant, but... They're actually very welcoming and they really want, because they want to sell the art, so mm -hmm. they're really welcoming to people who are interested in it. So just uh, don't, be, uh, don't be shy. Right. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, it, has a lot, it has a lot from the person yeah. itself. 
Yeah, no, of course, I know it's, it's, it can be very scary, especially when you're the only person in the gallery and you're walking around, you like, might feel a bit, a bit looked upon. But, uh, but that's also the reason why we with Young Collectors Circle are organizing a lot of gallery tours, so we make people feel familiar with it and, and also just to give them the idea, well, oh, I've been here before, I know this place. It's also something to give them the confidence to, uh, to go back again, to give them the tools to, to ask the right, uh, the right questions, to be informed. Yeah, that's a bit like when you enter a very chic uh, design shop yeah. or you feel that you should not even breath yeah. because you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fitting in the yeah, picture. I'm it's absurd, working. it's yeah. a shop. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we really want to break that, uh, that notion of that artist is scary or you have to be very rich or very old. or uh, No, I think uh, artists uh, artist for everyone. I think that's the most important message that we want to convey and we want also to have people to have a bit of fun with it as well. Yeah, because I also saw on your website that you do podcasts. Yeah. You also have a voice, I think. So mm-hmm. you also want to let the artist speak. Yeah. So can you explain a bit what is the what's going on with podcasts? Yeah, we are um, actually also during the lockdown, during the pandemic, we uh, uh, got the idea of to make a podcast, which everyone, of mm-hmm. course, uh, did. Everyone gets the same brilliant idea, let's make a podcast. Um, but we thought, well, let's not make one, let's make two, because we have a lot of time on our hands. So we, uh, we started with the first one, which is uh, looking into the life of art collectors. And, uh, of course, we could have chosen uh, 10 very famous collectors who, are, who everyone knows, but we wanted to convey the message that everyone can collect art. So we did interviews with 10 very ordinary people who have an extraordinary collection, and also the people that, like you, like me, like not millionaires, like not art historians, but just very regular people who really love art. So that was our first series that we did. And we also did a second one where we really look into the studios of the artists and really try to show people, like, what is it, what is it that artists do all day when they're in their studio? All of you to, like, de-shroud the mystery of, of uh, yeah, what an artist does all day and how is their art created. Uh, I think those are two very interesting ways to, to, to look at art and I think they complement each other uh, very well. Yeah, because indeed... Uh an artist in a studio can be sometimes very productive and sometimes mm-hmm. not at all because it yeah. depends on what's happening in mm-hmm. your day. And uh, I think that's also interesting to indeed let the artist uh, voice that yeah, creating or mm-hmm. doing an art piece is not a linear process. Exactly. And it's, it takes sometimes years or mm-hmm. I don't know to come yeah. up to be yeah. other thing from the artist from the, the artist who makes to be really happy about what you do mm-hmm. you know to really feel this is a yeah. good it's also a very hard task yeah sometimes I think it's the the outsiders who somehow give it a the finishing touch mm-hmm. because you when you create something you paint and you are let's say in your process mm-hmm. and someone or whoever is around and would say oh this is great and then you're like well I'm not saying but this is okay now I'm done you know I'm like <laughs> you keep it like this uh, okay yeah. this is good <laughs> yeah I can imagine because it's also one of the questions that we get a lot from, from our uh, people that, that uh, sign up for our events like how do you know as an artist when the work is finished this is something that people always want to know but yeah if you know you know mm-hmm. when it's done it's done well it's, uh, yeah, it's I think 
example, I, I remember that story of, a, of an artist, and I don't remember her name, unfortunately, but she was, she's still probably a ceramic artist. Mm -hmm. I think she was French. But, so she has been, she was, it was an interview like this, and she mm -hmm. was explaining that she, for years, was making potteries, ceramic, in a specific way, and she had, a, I don't know, 20 years like this, and it was fine. Until a point where she gets into the, the wall, she cannot do it anymore. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know what she can do. Like she seems to have uh, been using every tool, every material, every technique. She feels like she's completely on, uh, uh, let's say, closed in a loop. Mm -hmm. And out of despair or angriness or I don't know frustration, she threw on the wall all of her pottery that were drying on the tables. Mm -hmm. like they, were, they were not dry, they were still wet. Mm -hmm. And they smashed onto the wall and uh, glued, they were glued on the mm -hmm. wall. They, took, they, they stood there for like days and days in her atelier. And she was like fine with it. And she was maybe not even working uh, for days after this scene. And one day, like maybe a week later, when she came back to her studio, she realized that the pottery fell on the floor because they were dry and by falling they took parts of the wall with them they created like cracks and mm -hmm. all kind of weird um, uh, patterns of the, the, the layer of, uh, of paint on the wall and that suddenly sparked a complete new but like a new world for her she decided to stop making pottery and focusing on this type of imprint of clay onto walls and materials and creating these cracks and she said well Basically, I had, a, I had another life from there, yeah. <laughs> which I think is amazing because uh, sometimes I think people can think an artist as a, can have like a, a one way, like mm -hmm. a procedure. And, but actually, no, it's an evolving practice. And then one day you stop everything and you yeah. switch to, you know, like another tool or another format. Yeah, sometimes you all, almost always uh, also need to be stuck somewhere to start something new and to, to start again and to, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I think that's, I would say, uh, normal and even, uh, you need to get to this yeah. point. You know, yeah, but it's also very hard because you really don't want to be at that point, but once you cross it, then new doors open and new ways of thinking uh, yeah. come to you. Yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's like uh, when I'm painting or drawing and I, f I feel that, I feel this is, when I feel this is coming, I, I have a lot of stress in me, <laughs> but I know it leads to uh, this kind yeah. of moment of truth, let's mm -hmm. say, but it's hard to indeed grasp that it, this yeah. is needed. But that happens, let's say, on small scale, but sometimes you have a peak. Yeah. But know? then you feel that you need, you really need to pursue it. Yeah, I need to either get into the wall, you know, yeah. to bang against it, to say, okay, this is yeah. really like a dead end. Or, to break it. Or I need to, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, um, stop, restart, uh, make similar things mm -hmm. at the same time, like to let these sort of weird details in the corner, but still around, and I think about it without being in front of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, now we completely sidetrack to art practice and not to collecting. No, that's, uh, that's how a conversation goes, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering, mm. did you make art yourself? Ah, uh, you no, no, I'm no, I'm not so gifted in uh, in that department. No, 
No, but I also I also I really like to draw as a kid, so I've always been into being creative. But um, no, um, being an artist was not for me. But I can really appreciate uh, the the processes, the materials. Yeah. But now that you have been quite involved with uh, the art world and especially the artists, do you see in their process and their mindset or their procedure things that you could think, oh, hey. I also have this sometimes. I also uh, have this kind yeah, of well, work. no, <laughs> unfortunately, it's the opposite. I'm always very jealous of the way of artists that I admire, the way they look at the world, they look at the things around them. So that's also thing, something that really um, I really look for when, when buying art, when acquiring art, when looking at art, that I really like the way that some, some people, some artists, the way of, of thinking might be very different than your own way of, of viewing the world, of viewing things. So I think it's very refreshing to, to have someone else's look or take on things. So I think that's something that artists are just very amazingly uh, amazingly good at and to, to incorporate that also into your own life. I think that's what makes art collecting very fun. All right. Well, that's, that's a great, uh, I think, uh, testimony <laughs> <laughs> to, to collectors, because I think collectors should not be, uh, uh, let's say, afraid of, if they one day want to skip, not say skip, pass the, you know, become the artists themselves. Yeah. Yeah, there is all all, uh, all open, yeah. you know. Exactly. Same for artists. Artists also collect, yeah. uh, maybe not with a very different yeah. uh, process, but Energy. they do so. Yeah. And uh, you can trade artworks with other artists. Yeah. So there's something that we collectors are very jealous jealous yeah. of. You have like some leverage. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I did once uh, with a friend. Mm -hmm. I uh, actually, actually, I saved him paintings that were lost in a train station. Mm -hmm. And uh, with a, because he could have been really lost forever, so I uh, was uh, sort of the gift. He was mm -hmm. like, "Okay, keep one, and uh, we are good." Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds like a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Nadine, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, bye bye.